0: This is our text for the evening. We'll be reading the first 16 verses of chapter 5. It says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband and is well known for her good deeds such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list. For when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house, and not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense saying things they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them, so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. This is the word of the Lord. Strange. Okay? Strange. Especially as we dip into this, this teaching, there's a lot of things that, uh, just right off the bat, we have to say they are contextual. They are framed within a letter that's written to a people a long time ago in a context very different from our own. One of those issues, especially surrounding this idea of, of widows, is without children and without a husband. Most women were in trouble, to say the very least. Um, some might even characterize them as the walking dead because they have no, no hope, no um, ties to the land, no um, economic support. They have uh, a lot of, of, of issues, and that's why Paul wants to address this to his community. There's two things that are happening in this text in particular. Um, One is about families, and the majority of the text is about widows, and we're just going to kind of march through a little bit here. In the first section, the first couple of verses of chapter 5, it says, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. So here, the call to Timothy is to have this familial sort of mindset in the way that you interact with people. It's not you as the authority figure that are putting people in their place. It's you instructing and disciplining and being engaged in people's lives as a member of their family. Hopefully we're not the type of people that would uh, go to our fathers or our mothers or our brothers and sisters and just like launch off on them. Um, But hopefully we're respectful of, of those relationships where for For Timothy, it was imperative to begin to get in this mindset of we are family together. And it doesn't work with just pastor and people. It works across the aisles as well where we begin to love and care and have concern for people so that when you see folks in the midst of difficult situations, whether they be thrust upon them or whether they be ones that they bring about through their own poor decisions, we are able to address them in a way where we don't lose the audience with them. If we're the folks on the side of the road with the picket signed, we've lost them. If we're the folks that just come out there with this self-righteous indignation, we've lost people. So for Timothy, he's trying to learn how to um, have these relationships. And then oddly, when he talks about... Engaging with young women as sisters with absolute purity. This line here seems to insinuate that there's something going on or there's situations in the past where there might be improprieties happening amongst people. Tuck that away because it's going to become important as we we go on. These two verses are kind of the frame of what we're looking at in the next section as we talk about widows. Widows. Everything that follows, it's not just this abstract teaching. It's set within, you're viewing these people as father, mother, sister, brother. Like, these are your folks. Treat them that way with the respect that they deserve, even if you're in a situation where you have to to call to bring discipline about or bring correction. Okay, so this is the frame in which we're going to look at this. This is not just... Paul giving these divorced sort of um, commands to how this should look in the life of the church. So with regard to widows, the the first line in in verse 3 says, give proper recognition to in the NIV. Other translations would say honor. Some commentators and people would say provide financial support for. So we're launching into this whole teaching about widows by framing it in this idea of giving them proper recognition, honoring them. Perhaps the better translation will be providing financial support because the whole thing in this text is how do we care for this group of people? How do we fight for them so that they're not just left on their own to die? How do we take whatever we have and care for them as mom? That's, so that's what it's about. It's about trying to not just give them respect and, and honor, uh, like lip service, but to actually do something with that. How are we going to care for these people? The church is really good at, about talking. We are really good about saying, oh, there's this people group over here that need help. We should talk about that. Let's have a forum. Let's create a subcommittee. Let's try to figure out what we can do without actually ever doing anything. So Paul is moving Timothy beyond that and saying, The sense of it, at least, is provide financial support for these people. This is not new stuff. Throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, this call for followers of God to care for the people on the fringes is so apparent. It's throughout the whole book. In James, we have this kind of flagship verse, which says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, and just stop there for a second. If I was to ask you, what is religion that's pure and faultless? We would probably quantify that as, oh, we don't look at porn, and oh, we don't smoke weed, and oh, we don't cuss a lot, and oh, like we just kind of have this list of things that we don't do that make us really good Christians. Here in James, he's, he's, he's going beyond that. And no, I'm not saying that we should smoke weed. And that we should, okay, That's not, that wasn't the point. The point is it goes beyond that to things that we're actually doing. It's looking after orphans and widows in their distress and keeping oneself from being polluted by the world. Okay, so that first hinge of that verse is there's things that we have to do. There's people that we have to care about because God in his mercy has cared about us. And the more that we understand that, the more that we see that being played out throughout the Bible. So this idea of Timothy caring for widows is not new. But what's interesting about this text, it says, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. Or some translations would say, give proper recognition to the widows who are truly widows. In our context, that doesn't make any sense. We usually don't say, oh, this person's truly a widow. That person's not really truly a widow. You know what I mean? Um, so here with, with this teaching, we have to put it in the proper frame to understand what, what Paul's getting at here. And it seems to be hinging on this idea of who do we as the church support financially, tangibly? Who are the, the, the widows that are actually in need for our assistance? Okay? Okay. So, we're trying to figure out who are truly the widows and who are, really, uh, who are the ones that are really in need. And again, in our context, even saying things like that, it just sounds um, crass. It sounds wrong. For a lot of you, as you're sitting there, you say, we should take care of all widows. And that's what James seems to be saying too. So, stick with me. I think at the end of this, you might be okay if you're not okay yet. Um, so, the first thing that Paul is saying is, one who is truly in need is not a widow that already has a support system, okay? I want you to hear this because, remember, in the, in the ancient Near East, even up into the first century, if you had people that were connected to you, you had a fighting chance of, of making it. If it was just you on your own, it probably wasn't looking good. But here, Paul says, if a widow has children or grandchildren... These, the children, should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents. Catch it, for this is pleasing to God. There is a, an onus on the family members to care for the ones in their family unit. At this time, it wasn't just the church's job to take care of people, It was the family member's job to take care of people because that is what was pleasing to God, okay? So here, um, this has its roots even back in the Ten Commandments where it says, honor your father and mother uh, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving to you. It's not just as we've often been taught. It's not just go to bed when your parents tell you to go to bed. It's not just don't watch this or don't watch that. It's not just as I was growing up, watching television with my mom, and whenever there was a cuss word or something, mom would say, bad word. And I would say, bad word. Like, she would make me say that. And, and <laughs> in that, I was honoring my mother. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's weird. It's okay. But, like, we, we think that honoring is just about this obedience, but it goes beyond that into children. Care for your family. The people that gave you life you're responsible to them in some way, okay? Uh, This is picked up in the New Testament when Jesus is busting on the Pharisees, which he has tendency to do. It says, to the Pharisees, this is Jesus talking, note the red letters, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. Uh, This is the context. You have these laws that are put there. The Pharisees, however, are distorting them a bit. He goes on to say, But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. There's this, this money that's put aside that's meant to be for the care of one's family. And the Pharisees apparently were saying that money's not for them. That money's for us and for God. And Jesus is saying, when you do that, when you take that money that's set aside to care for them, you don't allow those sons and daughters and grandchildren to care for their people. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. You have distorted the law for your own gain. You have missed the boat, and you have missed the heart of this command, which is not just saying bad word, but it's caring and supporting and being the ones who will fight for parents. Uh, In 1 Timothy, this is how Paul brings all this to bear, and I'm I'm jumping ahead a bit, but I think this text is really a, a hinge for what he's saying. It says, Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. He's not pulling any punches here. He says, anybody who doesn't provide for these folks, remember, because it's, it's your job. If there's a widow there and she's got children and grandchildren, it's your job to care for them. And if you don't, you've denied the faith and you're worse than an unbeliever. In context, this is a call to the family to care for these people. I've often heard this text taken from its context in First Timothy and used as a command to men to make more money than their women. And if you don't, you're worse than an unbeliever. If you stay home with your children while your wife makes a meaningful wage and has a, has a talent, you are worse than an unbeliever. Like there's, there's, there's things that people do with this text to try to make that hierarchy of traditional 50s America where man does these things and woman does these things. If that works for your family, great. But some people have taken this text out of its context to say, in all cases, if you don't make money to support your family, you're going to hell. I want to take that teaching and put it back here in this context where it's not just about men having a job. Now, yes, if you're Uh, you know, a 40-year-old man, and you're downstairs playing video games, and your wife is making money, and you're not doing anything. That's a different issue, okay? But that's not usually how people are are looking at this. Um, So here, this is just about families caring for one another. Remember, that's the frame, thinking of people as dads, and moms, and, and brothers, and sisters. Like, that's the frame. That's how you should go about your business. Second thing, so it's not uh, a widow that has support in her family. It's also not a widow that has money. It says, but the widow who lives for pleasure, or you could say lives indulgently or luxuriously or ostentatiously. Those are good adjectives. Okay, I mean, they're actually adverbs. Okay, but it doesn't, doesn't matter, but it's how they're living. Okay, but in those things, it's, those, those are weighty words. And it says about this person, she's dead even while she lives. She might not need economic support. She might not need financial support because she's already got it in some way, shape, or form. And in the community that Paul's addressing, these ladies were causing a real to-do by just going about going about their business in, in some ways. We'll talk about that in a minute. But here he's saying, the church, it's not their job to care for these people. Yeah. In this text... Paul gets very specific about who it is that he wants to care for. Luke Timothy Johnson says this about this this line, a life of self-indulgent luxury. Listen, particularly when others in the community are left all alone, without resources, it's not just mildly reprehensible. It's a death to that life by which the community claims to live by the one who gave himself as a ransom for all. Luke Timothy Johnson is saying it's, This is not just mildly reprehensible. This is disgusting. When people have um, the means to help, when people live a life of self-indulgent luxury when other people are left all alone within their community, it doesn't seem to make sense with this idea that Jesus gave himself as a ransom for everyone. Say this again. If someone has the means to help people in their community and they choose not to do that, it's reprehensible. I'm going to step on toes here. Are you ready? We live within the American dream where you make what you make and it's do you because you've worked hard. But if we are content to stay there and to build our own empires, meanwhile people are broken and hurting and without aid, it's reprehensible. When the first thing on our mind is our houses and our cars and our stuff, without any thought, let's even just stay in the world of friends, without any thought, To your friends who need legitimate help, not because they're lazy, it's reprehensible. I just want to let that sit there. Moving on here, Paul gets into, so who actually is in need in this community? Because he's doing a good job of saying who's not in need. He says, the widow who is really in need and left all alone, the true widows, he says, which doesn't seem to make sense in our context. says she puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and ask God for help. There's this moral quality about this woman. She's all alone. She doesn't have kids. She doesn't have any financial support. She doesn't have anything, yet her hope is in God, and she is praying and focusing and waiting for God to show up and to do something miraculous. Continues, no widow may be put on the list unless the widow uh, is, is over 60 years old. In our context, that doesn't make sense to put age stipulations on who's a true widow and who's not a true widow. So understand, there's a context that's happening here, and this is not meant to be applied literally in every case, so, But for, for Paul, he's saying there's, a, there's an age qualification here, and beyond that, this person has these moral qualities of she's been faithful to her husband, she's well-known for her good deeds, she's brought up children, she's showed hospitality, she's washed the feet of the Lord's people, which in this context was the, the coup de grace of hospitality. When somebody comes into your home, they're not wearing their Air Jordans over to your house, right? So their, their feet are going to be a mess. And what you do is you wash the feet. You humble yourself as a good, hospitable host or hostess, and you take care of business. She does that. She helps those in trouble. She devotes herself to all kinds of good deeds. This is the person that the church is supposed to be caring for in this letter, we, as we sit here, we don't like putting stipulations on it because we just want to help everybody that needs help. But here, Paul is, is doing something a little, bit, a little bit differently, and we'll get into what this means for us. But I think that that list at least should make us pause and ask the very clear question, what are we known for? Not just widows, but like you, wherever you are, college student, dad, mom, adult, worker, who, whatever. Like, what are you known for? Are you known for good deeds that have been seen by all? Are you known for hospitality and love and caring for your neighbor? Are you known as, for, for all these beautiful, Christ-honoring qualities? Or have we been too busy being caught up in the world of stuff and in the world of me and in the world of goals and agendas and in the world of Fill in the blank. It seems like these people are providing us with an example of something that goes well beyond what we usually are engaged in. So I think there's at least that. I know that this text is about widows, but I think that there's something that we learn from them and how that they have um, conducted themselves within the community. So for Paul, a widow is not... A widow in need is not a widow with support and it's not a widow with money. It is a woman with no hope but God, period. So Paul here is saying, who is the true widow? It's, it's this, this woman here who is trusting and hoping and she's got these moral qualities and she's a good person and she's just been dealt a raw deal and she's old and she's got no, no help. We need to step in and help her. These other folks at least seems to be saying that they're not to be put on the list, which begs the question, what about the young women? Again, in Paul's context, this is very specific, and I don't want this to be used as what we should be doing or what the American church should be doing, but he says, I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. This doesn't mean that she goes on e-harmony. This doesn't mean that she just starts going out to the well saying, hey, boys, newly available lady. You no, know, like, no. Different culture, different context, okay? It's saying that there's a way for you to, to care for yourself by getting married. It sounds so crass, doesn't it? It just sounds so not romantic and not Nicholas (laughs) Sparks-ish, which I know we all want in our lives, you know? Um, But he, he goes on to say, this is what I want, but there's been a problem with the young ladies in the community. They've kind of hijacked what this should look like, and they've just gone out there and Flaunted their stuff. It, it even seems to say that they've lost, in a paraphrase, they've lost their first love for Jesus, and they become more concerned with fulfilling their desires and taking care of their own personal needs. And Paul says, in that they're, they've totally missed it. I want people to get married, but I don't want them to go so far where they just they go off the deep end and they they lose, in a sense, their faith and their commitment. How in the world does this text have anything to do with us? I hope that you've caught on to like what I'm laying out is what's in the letter. But again, it's not something that we should implement in that literal sort of way. But there are certain things that we can take away from it. One, again, we have to be aware of the context of the letter before we jump to conclusions. As if to say we won't help anyone unless they're 60 years old. That's bogus. Okay, that's not what Paul is getting at, but Paul's addressing something in a context that's different from our own, right? Second thing, there's an implication here for moral living, not just with the widows, but amongst the community. We should be people who are loving each other in that family sort of way, with all purity, Paul says. Thinking of people as brothers and sisters and moms and dads, and not just thinking of people in opposite ways, there's a call where we should be living this out and we should be, in a sense, maybe celebrating the people that are living this out. Not by awarding them with a check, but like awarding them with recognition that they're doing it. Maybe going farther into getting into a discipleship-based relationship with them and seeing what's going on and learning from them as they they live this out. Families, though, have a responsibility. and I think this is something that continues on even in our context For us, even now, I think that we're responsible to to the people that love us and care about us. And we have a job to do in the sense of caring for them and not just pawning that off on someone else. There's a tendency to get very political right there, but I'm going to back off that. Just for a moment, okay? Um, but understand the responsibilities that we have to our families. Understand that the church, both this church here, small C local church and the church universal, we have responsibilities to care for people. Again, this is not just the ones who fit the bill. I don't think that that is really what, what's the best interpretation for our context. But the people that are without financial help, the people that are without support, the people that need the church to step in the gap and care for them in that season, regardless of how old they are, regardless of of their situation, perhaps, and and to see or at least try to enact what Jesus would enact. The way that we go about this as a church, um, we've set up the budget so that the majority of the money that we bring in goes back out. So when people do have needs in the community, whether they be widows or whether they just be college students or whether they be who knows who else, like we have the finances to be able to step in and help in a way that doesn't hurt. Last week, we, uh, we tasked you guys with this special love offering gift type thing to... Uh, to the teachers of West Salisbury. I don't want to take a lot of time on this because I just want to finish this up. Um, I was in California. When I heard um, how much we raised, we raised $41. I was disappointed. But the more I began to think through what we do here, the money that you guys give doesn't go to... The majority of it doesn't go to Doug and I. It doesn't go to paying for this space. This is really cheap. We're very blessed. We're very fortunate. The money that you guys give each and every week, forget about special offerings, each and every week, it goes back into the community. It goes to pay for the 15 baskets that that we're giving to teachers. We weren't just saying, well, we'll only give that $41 because the money that you guys give goes out. We have this responsibility, and you have, in a sense, entrusted us to make those decisions. We want you to have more ownership of them. Last week was not the best way to go about it. We know that now. Uh, We make a lot of mistakes. But this is something that we, as a leadership team, are really stinking serious about. Folks that have needs, folks that are in the midst of tragedy, we want to step in the gap. I'll I'll go one, one step below the surface and maybe give you a little prick on the shoulder here. Don't pawn off your responsibility on us. If there's ways that you can help, help. If that's you going here to these baskets, fine. But if there's other things that you can be doing as part of the Little C and Capital C Church, do it because that's what pleases God. We have responsibilities. Just into what I was was just talking about. Some of you guys are on the front lines of stuff that we don't even know about and you've, you've had these relationships with people that need you and love you and care about you and you're doing it. And when I get to see a glimpse of it, like I freak out. Like When I see you guys engaged in these beautiful, meaningful relationships with folks that need help, that's what it's all about. Brian, that's what it's all about. I'm sure you've seen it already, but you'll see even more of it when, when we as a people begin to get it. That's what pleases God. We can use this talk about widows um, as, as an entryway into how do we care for people. We can use it in a, very, um, in a very literal context as well, but we can also go one step below the surface to see how it is that we, not just as a church, but we as individuals are caring for people. Are we inviting them into our home? Are we being people that are hospitable? Are we loving our neighbors well? Are we doing things where people on the outside look in and say, yeah, that person exemplifies who I believe Jesus is. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress, and yes, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I think that we do a good job of that that back end of that. Um, don't forget the widows and the orphans in a very literal sense, but also for the people on the margins, the people that don't have any support, the people that don't have any resources be support, be a resource, and be Christ to them.